hijinks and laughs, bullies and butlers, it's time to get undressed in The Invisible Woman. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. This this one was a bit scandalous for its time, Alex. Mm, I don't tickle bit. easily. <laughs> it, it was a bit scandalous for its time. I mean, there's a there's there's some certain things that are implied here. Uh, yeah, it's, it's got a, it's got a little bit of raunch in it. Yeah, yeah. I know you, I know you can I know you appreciate a little bit of raunch, Alex. Oh, I think it's I think it should be in every movie. <laughs> <laughs> especially like ice age or like despicable me yeah i know you 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 need a little bit of raunch in all of your movies alex exactly. these <laughs> these disney movies these pixar movies need some raunch that's the yeah, one thing we're sure. missing <laughs> welcome back to the monsters versus men podcast this is the bargain basement of the monster podcasting airwaves this week as we try to stay alive we're discussing the invisible woman 1940 alex not to be confused with uh fantastic four invisible woman or oh, right. the 2014 film, The Invisible Woman. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I guess everybody can just use it. Yeah, and with me today, Alex, I have with me, oh, no. though I've said your name a couple times, the squeaky voice box himself, Alex. Oh, I was going to call you the tight pantyhose on an invisible leg. Ooh, <laughs> I like that. I'll take that one. <laughs> Eric, I didn't even introduce you. There we go. <laughs> uh, well, hey, Alex, before we get in, I received an email from uh, a listener named Troy. He says this. He says, hey, guys, I'm really enjoying the Universal Monster series, but what about an episode covering movies from other filmmakers that ut- utilize the Universal creatures? I'm thinking of Hammer Studios, of course, or Spanish auteur Paul Nashi, or even Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein. Keep up the good work, Troy. First off, Young Frankenstein will definitely be covered, I think, Eric. What do you think about uh, that? Uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I think it's necessary. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you and me are on Envian Plus kind of wondering about... I, I brought this up towards the end of the episode, and you like stopped me in my tracks. Now I see why. Um, yes. So what do you think about the Hammer films? There's a lot more than I thought. Um, now, you said that they have a pretty good following and maybe even decent quality. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Alex, whenever you ask people about the Universal Monster movies, you get people responding with the Hammer films. There's just so many of them. Uh, it's slightly intimidating. I think one of the things that I like about our podcast and hopefully our listeners appreciate about our podcast is that we truly are noobs. <laughs> I, I know you had experience with Godzilla, um, but we were both pretty, when it came right down to it, compared to lots of fans, we're noobs. And so yeah. if whether you are a noob and you're experiencing with us for the first time, hopefully we can be those guides for you, right? Like we're kind mm-hmm. of um, curators or, or guides through this experience and we're going on this journey together. Or if you are an experienced watcher of these films, maybe we bring something 
slightly different and slightly fresh to these films so you can see them in a slightly new way, kind of experience them again for the first time through us. So I think there's a huge following for Hammer films. So I think if we do that, if we go into those Hammer films, it'll be kind of the same experience that we get here Um, and with our Universal series, noobs looking at the films for the first time and enjoying them, you know. I think we enjoy most of the films that we cover. And when we don't, we find interesting things to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And I, I, I like that, Eric. That's a good way to put it is, you know, we're kind of a guide, right? We're not, we're by no means experts, but we have been doing this a while. Right. And any of our listeners that have been listening, they're going to know what our taste is like. And if it lines up with theirs and they're going to have a pretty good idea, right. Of where we're coming from. And if you're new to the podcast, well, just trust us. We're right every time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I'm excited for these Hammer films. I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards doing them, even though I really didn't have any interest until recently. And now that I'm looking at them and all that, I'm like, yeah, maybe we should dabble into these. Now, I don't know when. Mm-hmm. This year yeah. is pretty stacked for us. <laughs> no, so what I, it is, and so we're we're getting just for for listeners to kind of know. Uh, and I was just kind of looking ahead, Alex. There is the Jurassic Park movie and the Ultraman movie coming out this summer. Uh, so I think we'll we'll be taking a break here in the next couple of months. Um, we'll be taking a break, kind of in the middle of our Universal series, to maybe do a couple mini series, and then. Uh, after that, we'll come back, and I think we'll finish the Universal series by the end of the year. And then next year, uh, we'll see. We haven't decided on our plans for uh, 2023, so 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 we'll see what we'll do during the next year, Alex. I think if we do Hammer, uh, we'd probably do it a little bit differently. I think we'd probably go more. We either go, uh, you know, by an actor because they have some legendary actors that that are in hammer films that are playing certain characters christopher lee yeah christopher lee yeah exactly um we do a christopher lee series or we would do a dracula longer dracula series um and focus on maybe one character at a time with some of these films um this sounds fun though Uh, we may have we may have to um, discover some of these other films alex yeah i mean i'm I'm just kind of glancing at them and these are kind of the reasons why i'm like really kind of shocked by it and excited about Hammer a little bit. It's like, I'm looking at the 20 cult classic collection. It's just got a couple. I'm just going to name a couple. Revenge of Frankenstein. Okay. Mm-hmm. Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll. I'm down. And then we even get some mummy movies, uh, or at least one movie. Um, Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. Mm. And then all kinds of different things. Like, But a lot of these are not monster. Well, they might be monster movies it's hard to tell from the titles but um i'm excited like, yeah i'm pretty intrigued by this i want to see where it goes but i think this sounds like maybe we should have a producer meeting there eric yeah that sounds smart. talk to them sounds smart absolutely we need to do that soon uh yeah and we'll, and we'll let you all know of our plans when we know them ourselves <laughs> <laughs> let's get into this week's film though shall we alex let's do it Following the success of The Invisible Man Returns, Universal decided to produce another sequel, but with a twist, The Invisible Woman. Upon release, it received mixed reviews, including one review, John Mosher of The New Yorker, 
claiming it was the, quote, feeblest example so far of the invisibility camera work. And that's where we'll start, Alex. Does The Invisible Woman offer us anything different than we've seen from its prequels? Or is the sequel rather feeble? So, in reference to invisibility camera work, I do think we see a little more of the lines than we did in the original, but maybe no more so than we did in the previous film. I don't think this movie is feeble, though. Like, it's not one of my favorites, for sure, but, I mean, we've seen Werewolf in London, right? (laughs) We've seen uh, The Mummy's Hand. Um, those are kind of feeble and yeah, this one is a bit hit or miss though for me, you know, while when compared to mummy's hand, it is an improvement. Um, the weaknesses here though, for the film, I feel like are actually the lack of a real villain and the mismanagement of time on the back half of the film. Um, I never feel like it's slow, but. I often find myself wondering, what's the purpose here? You know, I think the comedy does pretty well. You know, our our uh, four characters here are pretty interesting. I like them. They're fun. But things end up being a bit hollow when the villain comes in for me. And again, like I said, it's, just, it's really that, that purpose. I feel like it really lacks it on the back end. Huh. Yeah, I'm with you on part of that. Uh, I actually laughed quite a few times at this one. I, I might not have been cackling, Alex, like <laughs> you tend to do when you're watching your yes. films, but I was at least chuckling, um, if, if you can differentiate between those two. Definitely. Uh, I was thinking about it, and this might be the most different of any Monsters vs. Men film that we've watched because, well, there's no real monster at all, and it's just a pure comedy, honestly. It's either this or Jingle All the Way. I, I'm not <laughs> sure which one's the most different. Yeah. Um, what I think this film does a lot better than last week, though, is it establishes characters that are quite differentiated from one another mm-hmm. and each amusing in their own right. Uh, I think the professor, who's played by John Barrymore, grandfather of Drew Barrymore, Alex, really stands out as an eccentric scientist character. His expressions and glances are amusing throughout, and his old-fashioned ways place him in some awkward situations. Kitty Carroll makes for a great troublemaker. Richard Russell is the perfect, eligible, and easygoing bachelor. And George makes a great, reluctant, but loyal (laughs) butler. These four leads work individually, but what makes them great, uh, and what makes them interesting, what makes the comedy work for me is the way that they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where the comedy happens because that's uh, where all the contrast and foils with one another come in. Yeah, I agree. Like those four were really standouts. I, I, I was shocked at their individuality and how they really took what didn't work with the mummy's hand last week. Like we, we kind of mentioned last week that. We were hoping to see the evolution of comedy, right? We were hoping to see that, and we we had a feeling what was coming next was eccentric characters, like even more eccentric and exaggerated. And that's what we got. You know, we get most of the comedy, like with the butler, for example, is uh, very slapstick, fall down, all that type of stuff. And then a lot of his um, plays on words and just complete misunderstandings. Uh, yeah. felt like they belonged in a, 
in an outright comedy film. And I, I, you know, some of that stuff was pretty cool, but while some of his stunts were awesome, like when he falls down the stairs, mm-hmm. and it was super impressive. Some of them seem really out of place. Like when he walks up the ladder and he falls, um, it was just kind of odd. Now the scientist though, he, it's like you said, he's very funny and he's larger than life. <laughs> and you know, just seeing all the ways his eyebrows and just every piece of his <laughs> face contorts and wiggles and does all these, <laughs> all these reactions. It really elevates that character to make him just really fun. loving. Like, I, I loved every minute that he was on screen. And I also like the weird dialogue choices in the film for when he, he calls his test subjects victims. which which i really like it's like you said we got the playboy who is pretty competent enough and he is definitely his own character which i really appreciated and then we get the titular invisible woman who is very titular invisible woman out who is (laughs) yeah so we get the invisible woman who is you know, a very fun character. She's the first female lead in our monster movie series or universal monster movie series. And I think she does a really great job with her performance. You know, she's fun, loving, loving and comedic. She's vindictive against Mm -hmm. people that are rightfully. So she's (laughs) vindictive against, and she just, she's got this really snappy and sharp personality that I just really like. Like she does not, uh, among four characters, despite being invisible, she doesn't fade into the background. Nice. Um, yeah. So I, I just really like that. But really, again, I want to go back to the weakness. As I mentioned, you know, it, it's these villains. While the foghorn bit is funny when he loses his voice, uh, I actually really like that. And I like how much they lean into that gag because it does become funnier the longer it goes yeah. on. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, <laughs> It, it's everyone else involved with his scheme. I find that they're so bland and frankly meaningless. You know, a villain who is trapped beyond the border should maybe pose a little bit more of a threat instead of just being a slapstick goof. Like, I know this is a comedy, but the whole arc going to Mexico feels completely pointless to me. I, 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 that, that whole thing is just so strange. It is. It is strange. Um, but you said it though. You know, this is a comedy. So, for me in this movie, the villains aren't really villains, right? They're just another setup for another gag, which is okay in a comedy film, honestly. Even though it may not be my preference. Yeah, you're you're right. That foghorn moment is a funny one. But honestly, every scene the villains are in, it's just a gag moment, which never lets me take them seriously. But I don't need to in this type of film because the stakes aren't in that tension between the villains and the heroes, really. Like that's that's not the point of this film. Really, the only real tension that we get is the potential romance between Richard and Kitty. We find out at the beginning of the film that Richard is, well, a, a rather horny playboy. <laughs> yes. uh, and then Kitty, always up for a good adventure, turns out to be a nice foil to his character and that she's invisible (laughs) so he has to get to know her a bit before falling for her now do i believe the romance all the way no definitely not It, it develops far too quickly but again i can let that slide because it's romantic comedy right it's not romantic drama here in this case the success of this film rides or dies 
on how amusing you find the gags. And for me, they mostly were. That's good. That's good. Because I, I, there was a lot that I was laughing at and I thought was creative and funny. Uh, but there are some things that... So, like, when you get the four of them together, it's like you said, they're this really well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. You could tell that these people are having a blast working together. Even the people I don't really care for, you could tell everyone's having fun here on set. But then we get weird moments that don't feel like they fit characters and they don't fit the story. Like when she is invisible and she decides to shoot the machine gun at the bachelor to make him, I guess, work for it. (laughs) Uh, This is a bit of comedy that I think fails the movie's plot (laughs) and it fails the characters to try to get a laugh. Yeah, and this, yeah. this does happen a few times. Uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, when the butler walks up the water, the, the walks up the ladder and wipes out, uh, it just makes zero sense, even in the context of his, like, su- superior clumsiness. Um, and then there's a few other escalates in the film that kind of do the same thing. So I am split on the comedy, even though I think largely it works. But there are moments where it takes a step out of its own story to try to do something funny and while it might work for some people when it did this it did not work for me <laughs> mm. well yeah i mean i think the villains um of the film to go back to that point real quick i think i think the villains they're okay right at the end of the film i i even like the fact that they're redeemed um, because of how the main boss accepts Foghorn back even after he's betrayed mm. him, right? It's like this family reunion after a messy, sp- messy split that was never really messy because no one was taking themselves too seriously, right? Again, it just depends on how we evaluate this film, whether or not we care about specific plot points that do this or do that or don't make any sense at all. Uh, I'm with you about the machine gun scene. You're right. <laughs> that was a little ridiculous. The latter scene you mentioned, though, I think is a good example um, because it did work for me in relation to who that character was. George, he got several good chuckles from me throughout the film because of how tightly wound he was. Yeah. Again, playing with that contrast most of the time against the laid back, go with the flow demeanor of Richard. So that latter scene, yeah, it doesn't make much sense in a logical way. You're right. Like if you think about it, step back, you're like, that makes no sense. But I buy it in the moment because I buy how wound up George has become at Richard, uh, that he, he could make that ridiculous mistake. No, it doesn't make no sense. But like in any film with fantastical elements, uh, it has to make me believe it. And in this case, I did. Hmm. Um, and that just made me think, Alex, as I was thinking about this film, you know, I think one of the reasons we see comedy starting to make its way into these films is because they are fantasy sci-fi films. And I think comedy, and this is maybe my, my big claim for, for the evening, <laughs> comedy is a form of fantasy. I know you don't like fantasy, Alex, but, <laughs> mm, <yes>. but <laughs> comedy is a form of fantasy. It, it makes us, we have to step out of the real world to believe some of these comedic moments that don't make any sense logically, but make sense in the world that these directors have created. Um, My main complaint about this film, though, is that it's nothing major. It's just that 
it's not a masterpiece, right? Um, <laughs> and like that's that's my complaint. It, it, to go back to my original question in my introduction, I don't think this offers us anything revolutionary or really new or even super artistic. There's right. no complexity to these characters or that or their dynamics. There's not much to work with in terms of emotions or messages. It's just a fun story with good gags, which I'm perfectly okay with for a film like this. Yeah, right? and, and um, I think that's okay to be okay with that, right? Yeah, right? Like, it's not, it doesn't have to be a masterpiece. Uh, and it's not. Uh, yeah. But I, I still had a pretty good time with it overall. Yeah. I think for me, if the villain had kind of played more of a straight man instead mm-hmm. of a crying baby, I think I would have liked, I, honestly, I don't, I'm really just hung up on the whole villain thing. And so I think if he played a straight man with all the zaniness around him, I probably would have liked it even more. But See, just... that could have been good. Uh, you're right. But I think even if he had played a straight man, like uh, just really stone cold villain type of character, that would have come into contrast with the craziness around him, as you said, and just made for other instances of that contrast that I mentioned that makes us laugh, Right because of that contrast. So however you play it, and I think the straight man would have worked, it would have still been comedic. So yeah, I would have liked to have seen that. That would have been interesting. Huh. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, before we get into our awards, Alex, real quick on MVM plus today, we talk about, uh, <laughs> we talk about you going to see the Batman. Uh, we talk about you not seeing the shape of water. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we talk about you uh, playing Elden Ring and experiencing hardship and overcoming your difficulties in life. And Eric just sat there in silence the whole time. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to hear Alex talking, you can listen to that over on Patreon.com forward slash MVM Pod. Alex has all the interesting things. I'm just overworked and tired. Oh my gosh. Uh, you can find that over on patreon.com forward slash MVM pod. It is a good time. Uh, I do recommend. But let's go ahead and jump into our awards, Alex. Compelling character award for the Invisible Woman. Who do you got? Foghorn. <laughs> a villain. I'm surprised. Yeah, well, like I said, he was the exception. He all was right, my all exception. Right. Um, but really, Foghorn, you know, he goes through the most trauma, I would say, of the film. Ooh. He loses his voice. He gets it back. He gets fired. He gets rehired. He shows forgiveness for his boss as well. Like, yeah, I know his boss gave him a little bit too, but only after he was put through what Foghorn was. Foghorn was immediately like, you know, boss, it's okay. You know, I don't care that you sound like a squeaky mouse anymore. And, and I just, you know, I found that just he is very passionate. Like, he, he ended up working with both sides. Yeah, And, I don't know, at the end of the day, his compassion is what got our heroes through the film. See, Alex, his... <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, I mean, you make a compelling case for Foghorn as a compelling character. I think it's his both sidisms that really just kind of rubbed me the wrong way with Foghorn. <laughs> I liked him, too. I liked him, too. Um, All right. Don't be talking bad about him. <laughs> My compelling character was Professor Gibbs. Uh, he just kind of stole the show whenever he was around. He could, in one scene, be completely aloof. And then in the next scene, 
be the brilliant scientist that he is. I, I One scene that I thought was particularly funny, just kind of a several moments back to back to back, is when him and Kitty go to the cabin and, you know, it's been raining out and they both enter and you've got him and Kitty and George really in the scene together and he's trying to convince George that nothing is wrong and Kitty is just trying to really provoke uh, and he's <laughs> right. trying to cover her up the entire time. And it's just the length so that he funny. goes. It's just funny, right? Um, I, that was a standout scene for me for sure. Uh, and if I didn't choose him for my compelling character award, I definitely would have chosen him for the Can't Believe the Acting Award um, because he really was great. Yeah, when he was having to do her voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So good, yeah. Um, what about your most memorable line award? Well, so this is, I mean, I get this line exactly right, actually. I'm, I was going from memory here. Uh, it's, uh, it is from The Professor. It's the next morning when... I believe Kitty has just woken up and she's still invisible and nobody expected it. And everybody's calling for the professor throughout the house at the exact same time. They're all shouting for him, shouting, shouting, shouting um, (laughs) all at once. And he just like stands, he's like, comes out of nowhere, stands up. It's like, did somebody call for a professor? (laughs) (laughs) It's just silly. Uh, It's just silly. And, And that's what I liked about his character, just that silliness that he brought. So that was my line. What about you? Mine was, uh, my, this movie really nailed the dialogue in ways that the mummy's hand wanted to. Yeah. And this is like an instance of it. Like, you know, Richard is, he's writing that letter to the professor to let him know that he's not going to give him the, what, $5,000, dollars mm-hmm. um, to, to pay someone to uh, be the victim, as the professor put it. And so Richard's writing the letter and George is like right up behind him looking over his back. He says, stop breathing down my neck. And George says, it's the breath of pleasure, sir. And perhaps a touch of garlic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Several, several lines (laughs) were like that. Um, You're right. There were several good moments of dialogue. Can't believe the acting award. Who'd you have, Alex? I had John Barrymore's Professor Gibbs, you know, your compelling character. His performance and the wiggling of his face and just everything he did, I felt like hit the mark every time. So I've got to give John Barrymore his props as that character. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, he he's a great choice. My choice was Charles Ruggles as George the Butler. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the physical comedy that he's able to pull off. Um, is great. <laughs> um, the way that he kind of limps off scene at one point with his legs kind of outwards like a duck <laughs> is hilarious. Um, or like a penguin, maybe. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> sorry, biology. Um, it's not my strong suit. Uh, <laughs> but he is he is hilarious. Uh, yeah, I love his uptight nature. For some reason. People that are wound too tight just just crack me up, kind of like George in, in like Seinfeld, Alex. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's perfect. Classic George, <laughs> right? Here's another classic George in The Invisible Woman. Uh, or Ross and Friends. Like, I love the wound up character as the comedic moment. <laughs> because they, they when, because when they snap, it's always the funniest. Oh, 
It's just it's just so funny. Yeah. <laughs> what about your oh that's a good shot award? Mine's got to be the stocking shot when you know this is one of those provocative mm, moments. Alex. You know it was mm. provocative. <laughs> Hmm. You know that this was a provocative one, right? Back yeah. back when this one aired, I can imagine the audience has been like, oh. <laughs> when when it's just uh, legs and stockings, and mm-hmm. it is it, it a very cool effect. B, you know, it was making some prepubescent boys awaken. <laughs> Well, it sounds like it might have not just been provocative then, Alex. It sounds like it was kind of provoking. It definitely was. I mean, and you know, in this one, unlike the last two Invisible Man, now Woman movies, Mm -hmm. they didn't address the I'm naked and cold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And in this one, they both brought it up. I'm like, I'm glad because that's all I can think about in the last two movies is that you got to be cold. Yeah. And yeah, then she exactly. says something like, I don't know how nudists do it. Yeah. <laughs> Another good line of dialogue there, for sure. Yeah. Uh, my, oh, that's a good shot award, was the invisible machine contraption. Uh, it's kind of a standout effect. Um, kind of cool, kind of a light show. There, there, again, there's not much here in terms of like artistry. I'm not, this movie isn't about that. Uh, but I did like that contraption that they built. Um, there was some fun stuff that they did with that. It was a nice yeah. little light show. So yeah. I would choose the Invisible Machine contraption. Yeah, it was like the Willy Wonka version of Frankenstein's machine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, that's a good good comparison. Absolutely. <laughs> what about uh, Unique Awards, Alex? Why yeah. don't you go first? This is the What the Hell Are You Doing? You Could Kill Someone Award. <laughs> this is, this is going to go to our Invisible Woman. Uh, yes. Kitty Carroll, because who fires a gun at people who are coming to save you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what are you doing? <laughs> and she's like firing at Adam too. So it's just yeah, very very strange moment in the film. <laughs> uh, I don't get it. But <laughs> what about you, Eric? Well, my award goes to another strange moment in the film, and it's the what exactly are you holding on to award. Oh. And this goes to Professor Gibbs. At one point, he's talking to Kitty, right? I know what you're talking about. Who's invisible. And it's like he he grabs at thin air, right? And he's kind of like holding his hand like a claw. And he's right. like taking her over to like the window or something, like, like k- taking her along in this room. But there's no real coherence to like what he's holding or like what so- he's grabbing. I think the implication is that he's grabbed her hand and he's bringing her along by her hands. But it's like, it's not at the appropriate level for the hand love. (laughs) He lifted it up. He lifted it up. It's a little strange. It's a little strange. But yeah, we'll we'll say he is holding on to her hand, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Final thought and tiered rating. What do you got for this one? Uh, yeah. You know, I like this one a little bit more after talking with you. Um, but it still was going to be the same tier no matter what. Um, I want to give this one a Gamera tier. I think this one succeeds where mum- the mummy's hand failed uh, in a lot of ways. And, you know, 
I, I was a little disappointed we didn't expand on the Invisible Man mythos. Like, we didn't, you know, there wasn't some yeah. loose tether to that mythology. That was kind mm-hmm. of a, a disappointment. Um, but I could see why. You can't have someone going insane and make like, oh, just a completely wacky comedy, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I just think, you know, with four standout characters, all in almost every moment of this film you got to give it some praise and you got to commend it on its effort at the very least. And golly, that stunt by George on the stairs on that first part. Holy <laughs> cow. I think it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that looks so painful. So yeah, I'm yeah. going to give this one camera tier. Um, it, 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 this is a, a, this is a pretty good one. Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you there, right? I, I think I enjoyed this film a little bit more than you did. But yeah, it's not a masterpiece, as I said. Uh, it's a fun comedy with a fun story that ultimately does work for me. Uh, it's a upper-level gamma-tier film for me. I, I like the ways that the four characters contrast with each other. That's what creates the comedy here. You do get moments of great dialogue, humorous dialogue. You get the great physical comedy, as you mentioned, from from George. So you get a little bit of everything. Even the villains, I, I know they didn't work for you as much, but even the villains end up working for me uh, because they really are just played for the gag, right? And, and that's what this film is, is aiming for. It's shooting for those gags. Uh, and I think it pulls most of them off. So for a comedy, uh, I, I find myself really enjoying it. They didn't need to mix in compared to like the wolf's or the the mummy's hand uh, last week. They they didn't need to mix in moments of terror. There weren't really moments of terror here, um, and, and that worked because of the the nature of this film. So overall, uh, I'm relatively high on the Invisible Woman. I give it an upper gamma tier rating. Okay, wow, yeah, I, I'm a little surprised. I had no idea what you were going to think about this one. Um, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I was I was interested to hear what you had to say as well. Um, yeah, and I can understand others not liking this film at, at all. So I, I would I could see it either way. I don't um, see not liking it at all. I don't know. Yeah. It's so charming in a lot of ways. It is it is very charming. It, it is it is. I yeah. It would be hard, but I I mean I can see the comedy just not clicking with some people, which is fine, right? Comedies don't all work for everybody. As you, yeah. as you tell me, Alex, you may not like fantasy, but as you like to remind me, I don't like comedies. <laughs> as you, yeah, as you tell people, but me and Neely both know that's not true. Uh, no, I, I enjoy comedies. I do. I do. It has to be the right <laughs> comedy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Next week, we've got Wolfman. Um, do you have a rhyme prepared for Wolfman, Alex? Uh, I, I've got one. Wolfman's right, go kind of easy. Um, all right, next week, <coughs> I just got choked up. <clears throat> uh, so yeah, so next week Stalling. is Wolf Wham. Wolf Wham. Next week Stalling. is Wolf. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Quit stalling, Alex. Next week is Wolf Man. Will it make us grandstand or is it a little weak and kind of bland? Mm. All right. Whew. The Wolf Man. In the Wolfman next week. <laughs> Quit stalling, Eric. <laughs> in the Wolfman next week, things get hairy. Will the film be scary or will we remain merry with laughter? We shall see. 
Okay. All right. Hey, better than last week. You know, you really set your game up, I feel like. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I needed to. I needed to redeem myself a little bit. <laughs> As always, thank you for listening to Monsters vs. Men. We do want to hear from you. Email us your feedback at mvmpod at gmail.com or go to mvmpod.com and leave us your feedback this week on The Invisible Woman. Send us your thoughts and we'll read them on the show. You can also follow us and message us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod. You can become a bargain base mite at patreon.com forward slash MVM pod and receive weekly bonus content, including special reviews, interviews, and host chats. And if you can't help monetarily at this time, a review on your favorite podcasting platform always helps. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, which forms Cell Block B, Louis Loops, Senor Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next time, don't let old men get you naked and experiment on you. <laughs> and try, try to, to stay, stay alive. alive. See Mafia, wake up, wake up. have created a monster and it will destroy you. Mm, I don't tickle easily. There's a, there's, there's some certain things that are implied here. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, got a, it's got a little bit of raunch in it. It's the breath of pleasure, sir, and perhaps a touch of garlic. Ooh, I like that.